Welcome to the Mumbrella Podcast, brought to you from the studios of CBS Interactive. I'm Tim Burrows. This week, we chat to News Limited Sales Director Tony Kendall about their national supplement strategy. We talk about how Australia apparently leads the world in social media. We ask, is the advertising industry suffering from a lack of women creatives? Joining me as usual, Mumbrella Deputy Editor Camille Alicon. Hello. Scott Rohde of PR Agency, House Party, welcome along. So first to News Limited. Now, for the first time, um, certainly on a weekday, it doesn't matter whether you're in Sydney, Melbourne or Adelaide, you'll be reading the same recipe um, and the same TV review and the same music recommendation. Uh, Taste is the supplement that comes out on Tuesdays. Teleguide switched on is Wednesdays. And Entertainment Supplement Hit is being inserted in News Limit papers um, on Thursdays. Totally a great way of saving money, I should think. Um, certainly not why we're doing it. Certainly the, uh, the reason we're launching these sections is to get the best editorial that we've that our country can muster into these sections. Um, and I have to correct you a little bit, the editorial is not going to be the same in every market. So whilst the brands are the same nationally, um, and when we break a big story nationally and those things, it'll appear nationally, but they're very much local sections, so there will still be restaurant reviews in Melbourne about Melbourne restaurants, obviously, and certainly if there's food trends that are different in Queensland, then the food trends in Queensland will be represented differently. So there's lots of different editors still working on very localised sections but under a common brand. And clearly for things like the TV Guide, the same would, uh, would, would apply so, as well. You know, state-based shows will get covered differently. Um, the whole notion of it, though, was you know we had lots of different sections in different papers around the country on different days of the week. Pretty hard for advertisers to buy, and you know we weren't leveraging the quality of our editorial that we could, to, to the, the highest extent, and also to really hard to do national promotions when you had six different promo- promotion managers, six different uh, sections appearing around the country on six different days potentially. So it makes it a lot easier for advertisers to buy us, um, and the audiences they reach are going to be really. Appreciative of the new sections, which the first one was today. And I, and I suppose with things like the travel s- section, for instance, suddenly you've got one travel editor, talking about the editorial side, who's incredibly powerful and influential because they're, they're commanding a national audience. Absolutely. And, you know, obviously that travel editor can then go out and employ the best travel writers in the country to work for the best travel section in the country read by the most people. Now, I remember that some of the sort of speculation when sort of things first started moving in this direction was, OK, this is all just going to, you know, totally centred on Sydney and everyone else is going to be an outpost. Uh, well, far from so the escape section's based out of Brisbane. Um, the Your Money section on Monday is based out of Adelaide, Hit and Switched on a based out of Melbourne, and Taste is getting written out of, uh, produced out of Sydney, so... The centres of excellence in each market that are producing each of the sections. So, will we at some point see a sort of, you know, even closer sort of working together of the mastheads? At some point, will we have the the Daily Telegraph, Courier, Post, Herald, Sun, or something? No, no. I mean, I think you know what makes each of the newspapers unique to the markets of the news, and you know, the general news in sport. Um, will always be very local and very uh, rightly so. Um, but when there's opportunities to have a national section and to, you know, the movie launches of Avatar are going to be the same day around the country. Why would you bother reviewing it five times? You, know, you review it once with the best reviewer in the country and, you know, and give advertisers the opportunity to access that audience once. And how is the market going? Yeah, good. Um, we had a really strong last three months of last year and January's 
come out okay and February looks good and March looks okay. So there's definitely um, a returning confidence to the market uh, despite the interest rate rise, which have slowed the retailers a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I suppose the, the, this is the moment where we get to find out how much of the issues for newspapers are structural and how much are just the cycle once the cycle comes back. Absolutely. And I think you'll find that um, you know there will be a slow return to recruitment advertising. That's probably the one that's probably the, the lag the most. But um, there's not a lot of job, job advertising going on at all, as the ANZ job figures showed the other day. So... If you look at the last three or four months of last year, you know um, it showed that newspapers are still very, very strong, particularly with the retailers. So the supermarkets and department stores spent a lot of their money in newspapers last year because they knew it worked. Would it be fair to say then that this is a sales-driven um, initiative of the changes um, to attract those um, national advertisers? Is this from your end? Um, for the first time at news, it's probably absolutely both. You know, certainly there was a, there's a commercial imperative to it, but. Equally, there's an editorial imperative to have you know the best quality sections. Given that you know these are very very interesting sections for people to read, and you know the, the brand new one which launched today, Taste, um, is a completely new section for our newspapers, and it you know recognises the fact that you know we, we don't put enough into our papers for women sometimes, yeah. um, and it comes off the back of the taste.com.au website, which is you know now Australia's number one lifestyle website. So well, I was going to make that point. This is a real crossover between yeah, print and online. Absolutely, it's a you know it's a complete package that says you know there's different ways people use the different media, and certainly online's great for search of recipes. Mm-hmm. And this section and other magazines that we launch, you know, or have a are there sort of for that inspiration, or even food porn if you like, and then they can access the actual recipes really easily online. But you know. They, 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 they complement each other. I'm well. slightly haunted by the image on the front, which obviously is a dread, dreadful uh, thing to do for an audio podcast. But um, but yeah, Matt Preston with um, a just fork. yeah, a large fork and just about getting that giant tomato into his mouth into as his well. Mouth, yeah. yeah, she's looking forward to getting another red stain on that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's about 16 pages. This insert, and uh, we noticed we're having a look through. We've got two full page ads, a couple of um, quarter page. That's a very strip. generous ratio to the editorial guys. Mm. There was, uh, did you did you hit your target? Targets, your first um, <laughs> advertising targets, sir. Oh, you hit the first targets. Yeah. We, we budgeted to start off slower, obviously, mm-hmm. given that you know FMGG planning cycles are quite long. So talk us through who, who the main advertisers are, Camille. So the back, um, the back page is um, Harvey Norman, yep. and um, the inside back is Redwin, Redwin Sensitive Skin. Then we have a couple of uh, smaller ones, uh, the strip ads. We've got one for Jordan's Restaurant, which we're very familiar with, Tim. Um, yes, we had a very disastrous <laughs> office Christmas party at Jordan's Restaurant. The only time I've ever had a member of staff use the phrase, Sir, you need to calm down. <laughs> to you? or <laughs> To me, yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> with me Always saying, calm. I am calm. <laughs> Suffice to say, they're a wonderful client. Correct <laughs> <laughs> food and service, yeah. <clears throat> oh, look, you know, there's... Um, FMCG, we've been out in the market the last five or six weeks with the sections with FMCG advertisers and they're all very, very um, supportive of it. They love the new look. They love the fact that they can easily buy it, um, you know, with a common audience around the country. So we're expecting good things. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I guess there's still a gap for Fridays? Yep. Well, there's a, certainly there's some planning going on to, for, a, for a Friday section as well. Mm-hmm. Fridays, uh, it's harder to... Actually, from a production point of view, to put a new section in our papers because the papers are so full with cars guide and uh, form guides and sport and those sorts of things. They're very busy papers on Friday. If we can production-wise fit it in, there's, a, there's definitely plans for one more section. I suppose that's the issue, and presumably weekends are now as stuffed as they can possibly be. 
as, they're as value packed as they can possibly be. <laughs> <in here. laughs> um, yeah, look, you know, it is. Uh, we've got production capacities that matches. You know, pretty much fills out on a Saturday and Sunday, and Friday's a little similar to that as well. Mm. So you're not going to lend a lot of new product, but certainly you'll get some different product in those potentially in terms of we will, when we work out what works better and what works worse, etc. Where's the next sort of opportunity for development? Do you think then? Um, I think we'll still be, it'll be around it's in a lifestyle area and certainly probably still targeting females. Mm-hmm. Now, in a sort of your you've been with news for you know probably two decades now or so, and you you had a stint with magazines as well. Where do you see the magazine market as being at the moment? Yeah, the magazines had a really tough year last year. Probably the worst uh, of all the media, given particularly some of our luxury brands have lots of international exposure and the international companies. You know, did it very, very tough and made you know global business cut decisions. I think um, Australia's also always been a market that's had a lot of magazines, and if you look prior to GFC, we actually launched a lot more. So I think there probably be some consolidation of magazine titles, but um, you know the strong ones will still be strong, and there's still, as I said, you know people love the, the you know the, the, the porn and the inspiration that mags provide. They love the. You know, they love the porn, sorry, <laughs> planning on launching a porn magazine. I, I think it's probably worth adding that to the context of food porn. Food? From yeah. Yeah. Oh, food, fashion, of course. Yeah. Fashion porn, I mean, you know, there's that inspiration that people get out of, I'm going to get in all sorts of trouble now. Uh, there's the inspiration how from, cruelly we edit you. Yeah, later, <laughs> that people get from mag- magazines, and yeah. I think, you know, that'll always be there. Um, you don't get that sort of same experience from a website. Um, gossip's probably the hardest one, because I think, you know, the people that do go to their magazines for gossip can get that online but when it comes to fashion and food and home and you know people building a house you know they want the pictures and they want to you know make their own you know cut and paste books and those sorts of things you know I see that there's, there's a strong place for all those I suppose the crunch question is when presumably at some point the the, re, the launch of glamour comes back on the timetable yep. again which was you know I've said before probably the smartest publishing decision of the last two years was not launching glamour yep but presumably that comes back on the timetable at some point. At some point, absolutely. I mean, you know, all the reasons we wanted to launch it in the first place are still there because it's a great magazine brand, it's international, you know, it fits a new lifestyle in terms of its, you know, handbag size is a new thing for, you know, it's proved exceptionally popular all the world over. Um, and you're right, you know, we've got a fair bit of um, flack for not launching it, but you know, in hindsight, it was the best decision we've ever made. Mm. Now, you, you you spent some time in the US as well. What's now, now that um, news is acquired, for instance, the Wall Street Journal? Does that change the atmosphere of the company here as well? Is it is it more kind of US looking? Do you think? Or? Oh no, it's always been very US looking anyway. From the point of view, you know, the big profits that come out of the film and TV divisions over there. Um, from a newspaper point of view, though, I think having the Wall Street Journal has helped the Australian immensely, you know, putting a lot of that uh, extra pagination into business and giving it a lot more of that sort of, um, particularly given the events that have happened over the last mm-hmm. 12 months, you know, it's all been US-focused, it's all been finance and banking-focused, and having that Wall Street Journal coverage has made a huge difference to the Australian, I think. Um, there is a Wall Street Journal Asia, of course. Should there be a Wall Street Journal Australia, do you think? Um, no, I don't think so. I think, you know, you put enough coverage into um, the Australian, I think you get that covered, and I think, you know, there's, there's always the web for, you know, if you want to sort which you know which parts of the Wall Street Journal News internationally you want to get, so I think we're well enough served mm. by the Australian and the thing that you do. I talked to someone in a media agency the other day who said he couldn't wait until the Australian and the SMH and the Age all go tabloid just because he thinks it's what readers 
do want? What, 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 what do your advertisers tell you? The advertisers, I think, are in this, the broadsheets. You know, they like the broadsheets from a creative point of view for big impact stuff. Um, there's no question there's, uh, there's reader research that says a smaller newspapers for commuters and the like um, is more palatable. But, you know, the Australian, which is our only broadsheet, doesn't have a big commuter market anyway. And we've found that, you know, in all the research we've done with advertisers, they're pretty happy with the broadsheet format for the Australian. I can't speak on behalf of the Age or the Sydney Morning Herald, but... Um, there's no question that, you know, globally newspapers have looked at sort of changing their size, but, you know, we're not in that space. I guess within the news family, a really good example, there would be The Times in the UK, which very which, which very successfully did go tabloid. Yeah, and, you know, but again, massive commuter market, and there was two or three other competitors that went down the same path as well too, so, you know, I don't see the need for that here in Australia as much, and certainly I don't think um, advertisers or readers are screaming out for it as much as they have overseas. Well, we sort of dropped a couple of hints just going back to the uh, supplements that there, there could be one more in the offing. When when might we hear about that, do you think? Um, it'll be a few months. But this, I mean, we've got a lot to bed down these three, plus they've got two we launched last year. You know, um, there's a lot of work in bedding those down and getting those running right, and we'll get that right first and then move on from there. Well, Tony, thanks very much for coming in. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Tony. Now, new stats suggest that Australians are the world's largest users of social media. Scott, what do you reckon? Seven hours a month? Does that sound about right to you? That sounds about right, I think. Um, I think you're using a few people's allocation now, aren't you? Well, yeah, I've probably used enough about nine people's allocations at times. Um, but no, but that's so everyone else can go outside in the sunshine. That's what the country's for. Uh, but no, I think the younger generation are using it a lot more. Uh, I mean, they, they spend a lot of time on Facebook, and, you know, as a per head of population thing, that's going to make an impact on the... Um, the older people, but you know, the, I saw some stats recently that said that you know your baby boomers and all that are really kicking into Facebook at the moment. You know, they're kicking into, they're getting involved in Twitter. So you've got everybody in this country kind of getting involved in social media. And obviously, the stats show that you know it's six hours fifty two minutes. I think yes, it's worth just is. talking through these numbers, which have come from Nielsen. So it's part of a sort of global piece of research. Yeah, so Australia, the, yeah, the average time um, spent on social media each month in Australia is six hours fifty two minutes. Number one in the world. Yes. United States is only six hours and nine minutes. Um, United Kingdom six hours and seven minutes. Then it kind of goes, just goes Italy, Spain, Brazil, and they're all, you know, five, six hours, five hours, four hours, all the way down to Japan, who's only two hours fifty. Which is strange. I, f- I thought Japan would have, you know, been a lot more involved in it. Um, but then they use their phones a lot for communication, so it might be a different type of, type of um, social media they would class it as over there. I and I suppose the other question, obviously, that always comes up is. Can you directly compare methodologies, even when it's Nielsen doing it in all of these different countries? They, you, you have all of these issues about double counting, whether they're really unique. Yeah, are they using it at home? Are they using it at work? It's you know, it's. But let's be honest here: stats are stats. When it boils down to it, you know, there's a million of them out there, and sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. But, um, but this one puts Australia at number one, so it's a good, good story. One. Yeah, hey. Is uh, it why? Why? Why is Australia number one, and why is it a good thing? I think it's great because it goes to show you that people are getting more involved in social media. Um, well, why Australia? What's your theory? Um, well, it's strange because you would think that Australia being you know such a lovely country and people are spending a lot of time outdoors that they would use it less. But I think people are just realising it's the best form, one of the best ways to communicate with other people. And they're using it a lot for research, I think, um, and to brands. They're using it for engaging with their friends. They're using it to, to, see, to see what stories are out there. And I think that it's important, I think, because it's where the future's lying. You know, a, a lot of brands realise that they need to be in this space just so that they can um, 
get involved. Well, let me ask you this, Kuma. You're the Australian in the room. Um, what is it about Australians that makes them the sociable ones who participate in a big way? Well, I suppose some people have said that it's just the general attitude of Australians that's very kind of uh, community or very friendly. Kind of mateship. The mateship issue, I suppose. But I, I suppose for me as well, it's one, you know, you don't often say this in this day and age, the tyranny of distance still does exist in that, for example, when I was overseas for a couple of years, I was I was hitting up um, Facebook so much to keep in touch with my friends and family and then more so than Twitter. Um, since I've come back, probably less so, more just um, friends. But, I mean, that could be a factor, just, mm. just the, the geography. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, if I log into Facebook, you know, if I look at the chat section, there's usually at least 30 to 40 people out of my friends always online, you know, throughout the day, and it just goes to show you that and, and, and these people aren't, you know, social media people that aren't involved in PR and all that kind of stuff. These are just, you know, everybody's got different jobs and all that kind of stuff, but they're all logged on constantly and are kind of mm. rotation. You know, you're, you log on any time there's MD there to chat with. And, and yet very few brands, for instance, or certainly agencies are really coming up with brilliant social media campaigns. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, you know, there's a, there's a big dearth of kind of interesting stuff happening over here. A lot of it's a lot of... Um, a lot of it's copied from across the world where people are, you know, saying, oh, that worked there, we'll use it over here, um, which is a shame because it'd be nice to see some new creatives coming out and uh, seeing what people can actually do. We're still waiting for that big um, that big case study, aren't we? I mean, I know that in terms of a global scale, in terms of a big brand, Pepsi, with a refresh project, yeah. looking to, you know, they've moved away from the the Super Bowl ads to the 20 million social media campaigns. So I think everyone's watching to see how that'll work out mm. and if Pepsi will take it up here in Australia as well. I think there's a... Look, I think I think... Over the next two years, you're going to see some pretty impressive campaigns coming out. Um, it's just obviously getting... I think part of it is getting a lot of the market managers to realise that this is where part of the budget needs to go. It's similar to PR. You know, you, you've got your advertising budget, you've got your PR budget, and you've got now you've got your social media budget. I mean, theoretically, social media is still part of... It's just another channel, but you should be taking 10% and funnelling it there, 10% in your PR, as this kind of standard goes. You know, and, you know pull back on your advertising because it's not doing as well as it used to. Well, let's, speaking of advertising, last week we had our regular Mumbrella question time. We do about once a month or so. It's kind of a bit like this podcast, except with an audience and a cleverer panel. Thanks. Now, one <laughs> of the topics that came up was women in advertising. Now, Camille, you were there. Let's start with Robert Morgan from the Cleminger group had to say about the lack of women in, um, in creativity. Well, he was just speaking about how there's a lack of women in creativity, and he doesn't really know why. Um, because a lot, of the, a lot of the agencies, and his agency being an example, or his group being an example, is there about 65% of it is made up of women. But the interesting phrase he uses, but once it gets towards the pointy the end pointy of the ship... The pointy end of the ship. Um, being very careful to pronounce it, ship. Ship, as opposed to the <laughs> there other... was a misunderstanding at word, the... Um, <laughs> as I was transcribing and had to listen back uh, several times after the... Uh, the seminar. Um, there's a bit of an issue in terms of women. Well, there's two issues. One is lack of women in creativity and two in management leadership roles. And across the panel, I think we, we saw a bit of a trend well, across the four panellists, one from client side, which was uh, David May from Jetstar, head of marketing. And he put forward, and he's ex-agency as well, he put forward the, the argument that 
it seems to be more endemic within agency land as opposed to client side because he's met a lot of marketers and CEOs, women in power from client side, whereas in agency side, he couldn't remember, he couldn't recall the last um, female in a management role, MD role. Well, his, his argument was that women were smart enough to leave and move client side. Mm. Was Well, that's I would agree with that argument, but I don't know if that's actually the case. Mm. The funny thing is, in, in public relations, it's the opposite. It's mostly females in public relations. Yes, I was going to say, you're, you're one of the few I'm men that I've met from PR and yeah. certainly one of the few straight men I've met I know. from PR. Well. It's very strange. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm straight. Back off. <laughs> OK. <laughs> oh. um, but, but I guess one of the other points is what is it about the creative departments within ad agencies? Because that seems to be the area that's most hostile to women working there. Mm. There was one actual poster, um, and who's written a, a guest posting for us, uh, who's in, in creative, uh, who's freelancing at the moment. She put out, she said, she put forward the, the theory that perhaps men are just have this, um, you almost have to have this patholo- pathological belief in yourself as a creative and have incredibly thick skin, which perhaps men are better at than women. Perhaps men are just um, better at being more egotistical. I, I suppose that is one of the things about creatives, isn't it? It's, it's much like, I always think it's a little bit like being a consultant, a, you know, a doctor, where you have to have this amazing self-belief to get to the top and you have to run a team and you have to not be knocked off course. And it's a very, very fine line between that self-belief and deluded arrogance. And, you know, it's very easy to be sort of taking the wrong side mm. of it. Um, and, and, you know, maybe it's something to do with that, perhaps. Mm. I really don't know if that's just... Uh, something to do with something within agency land. I mean, that really, for me, sounds as though something that can be in any industry, really. Yeah, yeah I would agree with that. I mean, public relations, there's a lot of creativity involved, but, you know, it, it doesn't seem to have this same stigma attached to you know, The you know, ad world seems to be this male-dominated world a lot of the time, uh, which is, you know, strange, because men and women can be as equal as creative as each, creative as each other. Well, that is where we will have to leave it today. My thanks to Camille. Thank you. And to Scott Rohde from House Party. Thanks, Tim. Also to CBS Interactive for providing the studio facilities. Your producer was Georgina Pearson. I'm Tim Burrows. And that was the Mumbrella Podcast. See you next week. (laughs) 